exactly does it mean to share your hotness? We all have our own unique spark. We are burning out of control like a wildfire, attracting attention, but is it the right kind of attention? All around us are people who are campfires. They don't get as much attention, but their story, their signature spark, their heat that attracts us close to them, those stories need to be shared. On this podcast, we're sharing their stories. Their stories of resilience, overcoming, how to find joy, happiness, everyday people who found their spark and made their life amazing. Hello and welcome to this episode of Share Your Hotness with your host, Lee Green, and my guest today, um, Dr. Morgana. No, Dr. Morgana, how do you say your last name? It's not on your little Zoom here. It's Morgana McCabe-Allen. Dr. Morgana McCabe-Allen. And she has a very romantical first name, Morgana. And behind her is all these flowers, like from a Renaissance painting. And it makes me really happy that there's this matchup of like this romantic name with all the flowers, you know? Oh, thank you. Have you gotten... Have you gotten comments about the romanticalness of your name before? You seem um, surprised by it. Um, I, I have, and it, it's quite um, an interesting story, actually, because I was supposed to be called Jennifer. And oh. when I was born, my mum was sure I was going to be Jennifer McCabe. Uh, lots of girls my age were called Jennifer. And my dad looked at me and he thought, mm, no, that's not going to work. <laughs> so he actually went off and he named me Morgana without telling my mum. And then- No way! When my mom found out, apparently she cried for two weeks and she nearly left him. But I was their first child and she thought, I can't possibly do this on my own. Um, and then after two weeks, she realized that he was right. But she did wonder why I had been named after basically a witch. <laughs> oh, oh, I didn't think of it like that. Is that from the King Arthur? Yes, from Arthur and the Knights of the Round Table. But I love it. It's a beautiful name. It's got a connection with the sea. I think it means circling seas. Uh-huh. Um, and I love to sail and yeah, I I love it, but definitely lots of people have asked me if it's my real name. Lots of people think that I'm called something like Oregano. So it's been a thing my whole life. Well, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, my name, my maiden name was Mon. So my name was Lita Mon. So lead them on. So <laughs> I I I it's you know, we, we get awkwardness around our names, but what's important is what we do with them right? Uh, yeah, We would take them to define. So when I think of Morgana, I just kind of thought of like the romantical knights in shining armor, middle ages. I didn't yeah. put together that there was happened to be a witch named that, but in medieval times, wasn't the witch just a wise woman? Yeah. I mean, Morgana Le Fay in the legends of Arthur is quite a complicated character because she's Arthur's half sister and I believe they have a son together and that's who eventually murders Arthur and she was an apprentice of Marilyn so there's lots of kind of pieces of folklore around that one character but mm-hmm. it's definitely a name of that era of knights in shining armor and a uh, witches and magic and yeah right well I, I've always kind of taken Arthur as like a cautionary character that he had all this potential he had all this opportunity but yet he let his uh his loins guide him, you know? And so um, that he got killed by an ex-lover is, you know, and then of course he lost Guinevere and, you know, to someone else. And so it's like, 
you know, he preached ideals that he couldn't live up to. And that's yeah. kind of every single human ever. Yeah, that's very true. It's everything. You know, human ever. We all have our ideals and we don't, you know, it's hard to be perfect to what those are every day. You know, what's sad to me is when someone has no ideals. Yeah. I'm like, I'd <laughs> rather strive for something and fail than not strive for anything at all, which seems to be a, a preach philosophy of, you know, just do what feels good in the moment. I'm like, no, no, do what's going to help you grow, you know? So you hinted to some pretty profound background differences. People are always fascinated by my being a trucker's daughter, you know, because it's different than my everyday life now. But, you know, I think it's kind of funny because that's the world I came from so that I sleep in my minivan on trips. People are like, you can't do that. It's not safe. And I'm like, you know, it happens, you know, like it's just the world I came from. So you hinted to me that you'd come from a different world. So I thought I'd let you uh, introduce it. Yeah, I do come from a different world, but there's a backstory to how I got there. So okay. I actually, um, I was born with a life-threatening medical condition and I, I've had some really dangerous moments with that throughout my childhood. And it meant that I was very introverted and I spent a lot of time alone and I very unfortunately experienced multiple different abusers in my childhood and my teens. And so at 15, I had this calling to the church and I joined the church and at first I found an amazing home there. It was a beautiful experience. Now, when you say the church, do you mind me asking what religious denomination? That was a Baptist church here in Scotland. Okay. In Scotland. I love how you say it. In Scotland, yeah. So I I attended church 10 times a week. I took part in absolutely everything. I went on mission in here in the UK and did lots of different things. And I was a, a young spiritual leader and I was very um, passionate about that work. But I also felt that there was a role for uh, women's voices and women's ways of being and women's history and all kinds of things that really weren't present in that particular church in that moment in time. And I was interested in things like aromatherapy, which is mentioned heavily in the Bible. And so I wound up being thrown out of the church as a witch. Hey, um, what? I was hey, thrown out of the church as a it witch. Went 10 times a week. I'm still caught up on that because there's yeah. only seven days in the week. And I consider mm-hmm. myself pretty devout religiously. And uh, there's not an opportunity to go to church 10 times a week. <laughs> um, there, we go to church on Sunday and we might yeah. have an activity you know, a women's activity or a youth activity, you know. Um, oh, I yeah, took but, part in every, every activity. I was in the, praise then, band, the junior praise band and I was around the cool kids club and I did the good news club and I taught the youth alpha and I went to two, at least two sermons a week and you name it, I was there. Wow. Okay. So that's an intense church. I'm just going to yeah. throw that out there. And then yeah. that intensity translated to you got into aromatherapy. Like you're talking about essential oils. Yes. Yeah. I was interested in essential oils. And, and that got you thrown out in yeah. what year are we talking about? Because we were just talking about Middle Ages. So I don't want people to be confused that I'm talking to someone <laughs> in the Middle Ages. <laughs> no, I'm not 500 years old. That was about 1996. 1996, you got thrown out of the church for liking essential oils. The in church... Uh, maybe by the time they threw me out, it was 97, but it was that kind of Okay. Time. But the point being... I'm laughing at that because the, uh, the you know, doTERRA, which I believe is an international company, yes, they yeah. are headquartered where um, not too far from where I live. Yeah. 
And so there's a lot of people interested in essential oils. And when they have their big conventions, it's like downtown Salt Lake smells of essential oils. Like yes. you can smell it. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, it's there's no bad smells, you know, it's just this huge essential oil smell that, you know, yeah. it's like the whole city is perfumed, right? Yeah. Um, so uh, I'm just finding that a little crazy. We just got to sit with that for a minute. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I... The, the, the life-threatening medical condition that I have is allergies. So that an infinitesimally small, invisible amount of something could kill me. It was easy for me to believe that a drop of essential oils could have healing properties. And I felt very much like that was something that was in relationship with spirit, not something evil. So did your domination feel that no medical intervention is, is a, a thing? I was given the choice to go into a little tiny room with a bunch of adult men to be exercised or to leave the church right then and there and never come back. And I, cho I chose to leave because as a, as a, abuse survivor there was no way that I was going yeah. in that room with men yeah and yeah and especially men with um because I I too from two and a half to 14 so sorry that we have that in common um but especially men that are having this you know um anger and I mean I wouldn't go into a room with a bunch of women that were yeah. having a anger you know but especially if you're have had uh men be you know, perpetrators on you, it's going to add layers, but just going into a room with a bunch of angry people is, is not going to be, why would you do that? You yeah. Know? Why would you? Yeah. yeah. It's like lots of violations of, okay. So I just want to make sure because other people didn't know your church because they didn't, I, yeah. most people I'm assuming have not been to church 10 times a week, you yeah. know? So did your, did that religion, did that church, I should say that church, because it sounds like a very extreme sect of being a Baptist, because I have Baptist friends that don't go to church 10 times a week, you know? Although I have to say, not everybody else went 10 times a week. I went to everything you could go to. I like Right, I but my point is, I don't know of too many other churches that have events that you could okay. go to. So that's like a very, um, I hope this doesn't sound like a mean word, because I don't want to be demissive to other people's um, religious faith or experience, but it sounds kind of cultish to me. It was kind of cultish. It was very, I mean, it would have to be to tell a girl who by this time now is 17 that she has to go and be exercised or leave the church for. The all or nothing is very much a sign of a cult. And, you know, of course, in the Bible, it talks a lot about letting anyone worship with you. Yeah. Well, they you didn't know, letting anyone be with you, you know, even if, you know, um, putting it in modern day stance, even if they are a, uh, you know, um, uh, a porn star on OnlyFans and everybody knows it, they are still invited to be in church. Yeah. You know, they're still invited. That's not, you know, God judges the heart, not, you know. Um, well, I mean, that kind of leads us on to the next phase in my story, because once I was kicked out of church, keep in mind that uh, at this point in my life, I didn't have a great relationship with my parents. I had just left the only community that I knew like was the all, all of my friends, everybody in my life. Like I just walked out on all of it. And your family was in this church too, your parents? My, my parents weren't, they hadn't actually approved of it, but I didn't have a close relationship with them because of the abuse history and all of that stuff. It's very different now, but at that time I didn't. Were they party to the abuse or 
not willing to look at the abuse. They weren't aware of it. Or oh, they weren't or they, aware. They could have been aware of it, but I guess their own things gave them lenses that meant that they didn't see it or couldn't see it. Okay. That's a gracious way of saying they were oblivious to your well-being. Yeah, in some in some ways, but I think they were so focused on other aspects of it because of these allergies and things. They, that was something they were incredibly focused on and they did hyper-focus on aspects of my well-being, but there were aspects that like emotional aspects of my well-being that they didn't have the capacity for. Okay. Okay. Um, and so I um I went through a number of different other iterations of things. Like I I tried paganism for a little while and and various things, but I wound up in a situation where it had a serious accident, had loads of debt, it didn't have people I could turn to. And so I wound up becoming a stripper. And actually it was it was hugely transformative. It was one of the most crucial parts of my spiritual journey. Um, it was a place where I found forgiveness for myself and forgiveness for other people um, and an entirely new perspective. And it also provided me with the money that put me in the position where one day I could have that sort of awakening and realize like that's my true path and I need to go that way now. Okay, so let's, let's look at this for a minute. So I'm imagining and tell me if I'm wrong. You've got a girl who um, is prone to extreme examples of hyper-focus by your parents on certain things, but not other things. You then join, I'm going to call it a cult, you know, that's yeah, yeah. Um, that is incredibly extreme. You get rejected by, you've been rejected by your family community. You've been rejected by your church community. And then you're destitute. And you have neglect spiritual trauma I think is the term that people use when you have a, a bad church experience yeah. um that sounds minimizing you get what I'm saying when you have a, a trauma around church or something which you know mm -hmm. that I like to say trauma around church because when people use authority the authority of you know and the the person who's under that authority perceives that as God's will that to me is the most perverse corruption of God yeah. that you could have you know yeah. like more evil than just being um you know just being um unkind or you know to you know what I mean like or you know more yeah. evil than I don't believe in God and I'm going to hurt you and I'm going to be unkind you know like somebody who might be like a the the pedophile image in our mind right but if you once you bring an imagery of God into that that the abuse becomes so much worse because you you know it robs us of that innate sense of our spiritual value yeah i think there's truth in that and i also have to go back and give my my own little sort of 17 year old self credit Please. yeah there was a there was a part of me that just knew i was like if they if they're throwing me out for this if they can't see me then that's not god that's people good good i'm glad I'm glad so that, that was still there in your heart because I've talked to people who for less <laughs> like crazy circumstances and maybe it was the intensity of the crazy that clarified that for you. But I'm glad that, that you knew that they did not speak for God. Yeah, it really was. Cause I mean, they literally had like an intervention and locked me in a room with a bunch of people and they were all like doing insults at me and stuff. It was, it was properly made evil. Um, well, but that's, yeah it, I think it was very it was very clear that it was a very human thing and so I, I went out and I searched for places where I could find connection to something that 
you know, connections to the divine, um, not through the lens that it had been put to me before, but through a lens that felt authentic to me. Um, and eventually I found myself in this situation where we left off the story of, of, of basically being destitute. I also had had a very significant injury. I had been in plaster for 16 weeks. I had two walking sticks. I had been told I would never get my full mobility back ever again. Oh. Um, and so I, it, it felt, it, it sounds like the weirdest thing, but it felt like, something from spirit not something not something away from my relationship but actually part of it like it was a way for me to rebuild my body and reconnect to myself and reconnect to goodness and others and all kinds of things that you would not expect to find in that environment yeah well it is um you know whenever I hear people's stories I always try to like try to understand where they're coming from because you know uh you know, people always say, oh, I would never, or I would, you know, these kinds of things, or I couldn't survive this, or I couldn't do that. But yet throughout all of history, um, individuals have had to figure out how to survive their circumstances. And people have survived untold horse. And sadly, human beings have not evolved enough. It's just those of us who can whine about it, um, live in a place of safety and privilege, right? So people have, gone through horrible things throughout the history of time and have come back from horrible things to live joyful lives. And so I always kind of ask the question and it's kind of like a chicken before the egg spiritual question of, of course, ideally we'd all be in homes that we had parents that 80% of the time were, you know, striving for their ideals. Right. And the mistakes they made were benign and they apologized right? That we had, you know, the most ideal homes possible and that we, you know, all found church communities that were really trying to glorify God and build up God. Unfortunately, not always the case, right? And that we could have kind of a a straightish path through life. But we live in, you know, what I religiously believe, a, a fallen world filled with fallen humans and evil is here and good is here and what path we have to go through to find God is going to be as individual as humans are. And if we end up in a place of truth, it says in the Bible, the, the person who comes to the Lord's vineyard, right. Which is like, you know, an allegory for God's kingdom and comes and labors in the kingdom. And they come in the 11th hour of the day of a 12 hour work day which, you know, lets us know how people worked back in Bible times, 12 hours, (laughs) right? You know, we're complaining about eight hour work days. It's like um, humans have typically worked longer, but anyway, uh, come in the 11th hour to the vineyard. um, Doesn't the, the, the Lord and the allegory does not ask, where have you been? What he cares about if they're willing to work in the kingdom then or to give their hearts to to god in in that 11th hour they get the same wage as someone who's been there from the beginning of the day at 6 a.m or whatever yeah so it's a beautiful allegory yeah and i love that because you know i grew up in truck stops where i saw lot lizards and you know what a lot lizard is yeah. So for those who don't, a lot lizard is a woman who is typically escaping bad circumstances and sees the truck stop as an ability to relocate herself. And she has no money. So she pays for that transportation with her body. And 
you know, they are not the first women who have found that that is a commodity. I mean, we're now glamorizing um, sex work and OnlyFans work and things like that, which I, I think is a, a damaging to reducing women to a commodity, you know, as a to encourage it. Um, and yet you're saying this actually made you feel um, it like help you shed the shame of sexual abuse. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, very much so in many different ways. Mm -hmm. uh, and it also helped me to recognize uh, like my skill set, my power, like so, so many things. It was a place where I really crafted some of the aspects that have been major parts of my journey as an entrepreneur. It opened the world up to me. Um, it let me be something, you know, I had been a person essentially with an invisible disability. My allergies were so debilitating as a child that I missed out on so many major things. If you add up, I missed six years of school in total um, wow. through, through ill health. I had different times where I was in hospital. I had, couldn't do any of the things like go on school trips or birthday parties or like, you know, so many things, right? And mm -hmm. my parents never took me on trips abroad or anything because they were terrified that everything could kill me. Anything could kill me. The whole world could kill me, right? And so to have left home and be in this environment where it was just me and my body, there is no armor, right? Like no armor between me and the people that I was conversing with, no armor between me and all the things in the world. It helped me recognize like, you know, I'm really living and I'm here now and I'm, 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 powerful and uh, god is powerful or divine the universe however you want to call it it definitely gave me this feeling of there's a purpose to being here and if it is short it will mean something rather than living shall we like you know i love my parents very much so i would never want to hurt their like you know hurt, hurt them just for the sake of sharing a story or something but there is one thing that i do want to share because we spoke about that sort of emotional capacity and whether or not that was there um my mom is a survivor of violent abuse her mom was the daughter of like biracial parents and her mom passed when she was very young so her dad was a black man couldn't raise her on his own so she was basically an orphan um and his parents were plantation slaves so there is trauma coming down in scotland you're saying right no, no they were in carolina they were in oh, a okay. they were in south carolina and then immigrated they, to scotland okay to so the outcome of that is that there's generations of trauma and no single generation is responsible for all of it and but the way that it manifested through my mom not something that she did to me or that was just by her but the way it manifested through her was that she had very limited capacity sometimes for my emotions and sometimes my emotions were very big because I was a really unwell child that was missing out on all of life and so my parents would quite often shut me away and say don't come out till you've got a happy smiling face on so mm. they would just you know, put yeah. me in a room and shut the door and well, I had spent the, the ideal they were raised with from uh european western american you know lumping all of those in because you know asia india they have different ways of raising children but you know that victorian edwardian idea of children to be seen and not heard and that we are to be pleasant has been something that um abusers both sexual and emotional and physical not saying that was your parents but other people have been able to use to keep a child silent you know to get an, an unwilling victim yeah well i mean that was very much the case because i had been taught only come out with a happy smiling face on I had been taught 
no matter what shit's going on, we don't want to hear about it, basically. <laughs> right. And they they did not because they we didn't talk about pedophilia back then, it was not something that people had a boundary for. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's very true. They didn't have a radar for that or you know, or or any of it. And it was certainly endemic here in the UK and things like the television industry and stuff. Um, but anyway, the reason that I mentioned that is this this story of awakening and it really was it was another spiritual awakening for me that I found in my days as a stripper was very much one of unmasking and of being able to speak things to people and of being visible and of being heard and of being valued but not like it seems really strange because you think well women are just being objectified there and they're only valued for their body but that was not the case for me at all I spent a lot of time there having really meaningful conversations with people about their marriages and their hopes and dreams and their worries for their sisters and all kinds of things because for most men don't have access to women certainly not then this is before the culture of therapy had ever arrived in Scotland right what like, therapy the, before the culture of therapy like people weren't oh, therapists right. right so most right. of these men didn't have somebody that they could go to that could listen and could hold the bad thoughts that they were feeling and that they could share with and stuff so I actually spent a lot of time listening and hearing a uh, men's confessions and their fears and uh, that was really powerful for me it was you know it was a, a beautiful window that I needed to see into well, it sounds like these circumstances were used, though, um, you know, not in the ideal box, right? Um, you know, the conventional box, whatever we want to put around that. But it sounds like you were able to use those circumstances to find your personal power. And mm -hmm. it wasn't so much about the removing of your clothes, but of the connection with people and, and thus the connection that you found with yourself of people who... Um, for whatever reason, their circumstances had made them a little bit more vulnerable. I mean, people are very open to communication after a sexual release. You know, we all, we all, we all know that, you know, I mean, if I, if I want something from my husband, um, the best time to bring it up is after certain acts, right? You know, if I'm like, yeah. want, want him in his most soft thinking through, you know, and vice versa, you know, I mean, if I have a headache, it's like, hey, honey, come help me with this, <laughs> you know? So there is a vulnerability that we humans have always had around sexual feelings. And it's so- Although sexual release is not part of that work, at least here in the UK. It's well, they would have the psychological sexual release yeah, is what so I, yeah, yeah, I'm sorry yeah. if I connotated that you were doing more mm -hmm. than stripping because you said I stripped, you know? Yeah, no, no, that's um, fine. It's different in every country. In some countries, it's much more than it is here in the UK. So I think it's good to just clarify that because, for example, in Greece or Spain, they're totally different ballgame to what is here. Okay, um, so um, is it if so, we have a, a from stripping to, um, you know, actually having sex, are you saying that like in Scotland, you know, that's how I tried to say it, like I was Scottish. Okay, good job. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Thank you. I'll, I'll have I'll live on that all day um, that um, stripping is only stripping taking off yes. your clothes in, in and, Scotland, and, and, and in some countries there's a much a uh, more permeable boundary mm -hmm. between uh, permeable certain, boundary. i'm sorry <laughs> just the wording of that is funny to me because there's um, a lot of permeable boundaries in sex yeah yeah it's true yeah, but sorry. we're talking about 20 years ago so i want to be careful not to say that it's it's that case now but certainly 20 years ago a uh, 
there was an expectation in certain countries, which is why I didn't work internationally. A lot of people came internationally to work in clubs in Scotland because they could make the same money here, but without the expectation that every, you know, two or- It puts you in more danger. Yeah, you know, it does. If you're actually having sex yeah. of, you know, not yeah. only physical harm to you by somebody being too close and intimate and having malintent, but also, you know, diseases and things like that yeah. that can happen, yeah. you know, so it's, it's pretty hard to protect yourself when they're already this close, you know? Yeah, absolutely. It was very regulated here to the point where there were things that people find incredibly weird. So for example, there is no doors on the toilet stalls in the ladies' toilets because it means that a man can't come in and corner you there. Like they can't, mm. they can't come in and shut the door behind you in a little cubicle and trap you or anything. So there right. were things. So I'm very comfortable with certain things that most people are like, whoa, that's not okay. Um, and I know I mentioned to you at the beginning when we first met um, that I wound up as a consequence of this, like I wound up once doing a job interview completely naked. <laughs> yeah. Um, the, so that was a, a stripper job or a desk job? Yeah, it okay. was a stripper job. <laughs> Um, the guys interviewing me were behind a desk. <laughs> um, well, anyway, it, it is true though that even with the even with the regulation, even with it being very strictly, very limited amount of contact and only certain clothes coming off in certain ways and stuff, um, that there there is a there is a deep softening that happens when people feel some form of attraction and when, and mm-hmm. also when people feel some form of safety some form of belonging some form of significance in the eyes of another um and i think that that was one of the things that i really learned there was how to give that safety and belonging and significance and also how to receive that safety and belonging and significance and how to recognize when that wasn't present and that was yeah well it sounds work. like as you said, that no one generation is responsible for their inability to, you know, to create that safety, you know, that I can identify that with, um, with my family culture, particularly on my mom's side. Um, there's a lot of, a lot of divorce, um, a lot of hiding, lying, moving things around. And so one of the things that I've used to empower myself is radical honesty, you know, that any, any human, if we really look at it, we lie. We lie to um, protect ourselves from embarrassing the other person. We lie to, um, you know, kind of say the story we want to say, right? And so the more you lean into being honest, the less you are able to hide those little niceties, and I'm putting that in quotation marks, that we think are required of us, right? And, you know, to, like women have a hard time just saying, no, I'm not interested, because they want to be nice. And yeah, yet and you're I, wasting the salesman time or the guy's time or your this person who perceives himself as your friend, bec- you know, which is really kind of rude, more rude, you know, to waste someone's time than just to say, it's not connecting for me. Yeah, it's very true. And actually, it's interesting because you, you at the beginning asked me a little bit about myself and I said my research is how we co-create with all the people, places, things, ideas, social constructs, embodied emotions, and things that we interact with. And that's a huge part of that because actually we're conditioned at, even in a, in a, at a level that's before speech. Mm-hmm. We're conditioned to lie in our body language in so many ways, and we're not even aware that we're doing it. And so most the place that people lie the most is to themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, and a really good example of this, and one that 
you know, this this is particularly problematic as somebody with a history of, you know, sexual abuse. And it's something we're super conscientious with with our children is that when you're a kid, you're told, you know, give your grandma a hug. She loves you. Like, give her a kiss, like that kind of thing. And then you're like, no, I don't want my newsletter coming out just before Thanksgiving was exactly on this. So please. Yeah. Yeah. And so, so you're being told like, no, I don't want to. And your mom is like, of course you do. It's your grandma. Like give her a kiss. Like um, you're grateful for your birthday present. And, and so what winds up happening is that inside of ourselves, we're like, okay, well, gratitude is this horrible, yucky feeling that I don't like, okay, that's gratitude. And loving somebody is this other kind of not so good feeling. And uh, the right time. Yeah, it, makes, is- it makes physical reward obligatory instead of being able to be situational to not only the individual but how you feel because yeah. some days you just don't feel it yeah and that's okay yeah. absolutely but we're not taught that we're taught that we have to form a specific behavior patterns that are dictated by society right and what right. winds up happening over time is that we build up ideas of what emotions are that are culturally constructed they don't come from our inside so what we call happiness or sadness or anger or frustration or whatever what you call it what I call it what it feels like on the inside it's probably pretty different because Mm -hmm. of the way that all these different experiences fold in a little bit of this and a little bit of that so happy is like a little bit of anxiety and a little bit of pain and a little bit of pleasure and a little bit of what on earth is this I even want it and and so on right but because we've been told this thing makes us happy this thing makes us and we use external reference to understand our internal reality we wind up with these emotional labels that are poorly folded over the top of what we actually feel in our body and there's a huge amount of unlearning and we have to unlearn that stuff before we can even stop lying to anybody else because the lies inside of ourselves that we've been conditioned into are so profound Absolutely. Well, I, I grew up with um, basically every form of abuse you can. And it was actually the the polarization of the different people that were abusing me that revealed somebody was not telling the truth. So mm-hmm. where was the truth between this individual over here or this individual over here? Come to find out they were both lying. And that was what kind of set me free was wait a minute. And I got it to look at what the terminology of today is, you know, to deconstruct, right? Then I was just, where's the truth? What's actually true? You know, and digging in and finding that is a lot of self-work. It is a lot of how I'm perceiving things. And one of my favorite things to do to kind of do this is to say things like, what does that mean to you? You know, not only to ask myself, but to ask others when they use words that I don't understand, or Mm -hmm. I'm feeling what we would say now of being triggered. I refuse to give the ability for someone else to make me react without me getting to analyze if that is a justifiable reaction. But, you know, what do you mean by that? And, you know, what does that word mean to you? You know, ask clarifying questions and communicate more than less. And it sounds like back in the strip club, do you want me calling that? No, nope, absolutely. Okay. That's what I- <laughs> um, you not only had a, um, a vulnerability with your allergy, with your health issues, you had a vulnerability with your body. You had this vulnerability with your communication. You were removing all of these different layers of how you thought about yourself 
And you were doing the work in that process to remake you. And that sounds like that's what was the empowering experience about it. And the clothes and the removing of the clothes almost became like a symbol to you. Am I understanding that correctly? I think that's really accurate. I mean, there was like, there, there is like a physical level to it. Like, for example, oh, my body is acceptable. Oh, there's nothing wrong with me. Like, so there was like a, there was a level of a positive reinforcement that came from the act of taking my clothes off and being safe and taking my clothes off and being having belonging with the other women there and taking my clothes off and being significant to the men that came into the club and stuff right so there was that level but beyond that there were these much deeper levels of a this opportunity to unravel the things that I had been conditioned to believe through different Mm -hmm. experiences in my life um and to as you say to remake myself and to remake myself as a as a sort of as a positive creator or co-creator of my reality um as somebody that could form my own intentional relationship with other human beings with the divine with whatever I wanted Mm -hmm. to rather than being inside of a formula and I just I have to come out like the printer the printed out piece of paper like like oh they photocopied uh, uh, those rules and and that way of being and don't show your emotions and all the rest of it so I think that God is much more concerned with why we do certain things than what it looks like on the outside so if I'm in church every week or 10 times a week in your case, you know, if I'm in church all the time and I'm, you know, checking all the boxes where others perceive me to be, you know, um, very pious. Right. And I, yeah. I think that's a good use of the word because it's, you know, fake projection of righteousness. Right. Um, that's how I define that word, uh, that you are, um, instead of being a good person, quote unquote, but not actually having the intention, you're just doing it for, as the scriptures talk about, you know, that to be seen by men, mm-hmm. you know, it's like you had brought your widow's might and we're trying to figure out what, what that was worth. And you found out that it was worth a lot, you know? And so I think there's something really beautiful in that, even though it is kind of like, okay, this is different. You know, and I wouldn't want that path for my daughter in any way, um, because I I want my daughter to be um, to be safe. You know, you don't want hard those kind of hard experiences, but you realize that um, hard experiences are going to come to all of us, and it's yeah. where we end up going back to the allegory of the eleventh hour that's yeah. important. It's so true, and I certainly wouldn't wish it on my daughter. But it's important just for context to recognize that that was actually the safest, most positive experiences that I had had to this point in my life. Oh, hey, that that needs to be heard by the listeners. You need to say that again. So this this point, this period in my life where I became a stripper, was the safest, most positive experiences of my life to date, because I had lived with a life threatening medical condition under complicated situations of abuse often with more than one abuser on the scene at a time I had experienced a lot of mental health issues and suicidal ideation in my teens that my parents couldn't support I had worked in a terrible environment where I I was sexually abused regularly and was um, verbally assaulted and financially controlled by the men that I worked beside and stuff so for me I like I wouldn't want my daughter to become a stripper like, cause you know, I'm like, well, that's not the best environment, 
but it was the best environment I had been in up until that point because even the church where I went 10 times a week threw me out for being a witch the minute I had one idea different that they didn't like well I'm gonna call them a cult so that's that's my feeling because they they use God's name in vain I don't think God is when he says don't use my name in vain I don't think he's talking about don't use a swear word around my name I think he's talking don't use my authority in vain Mm. Yeah, that's how I interpret that. And that's why it's very highly ranked. It's not that God's like only talk nice about me. Yeah, I think he looks very down on using his authority, his wife's power, his angels, his son, all of that authority in vain to using it to manipulate or coerce or control people. Um, And that's what it sounds like this cult that you have been a part of because that was not God because God loves and God receives and God expects us to become better. And nobody is exempt from the call to strive to become more. And he meets us where we're at and invites us in, you know? So that gets me a little fiery because that wasn't a church to me, you know, but you know that because every single human being wants connection. We all need community. We are tribal creatures. Yeah. And you saw a the words they used, I'm sure were, you know, yeah. and, and welcoming, I was a, but their actions weren't. Yeah. I mean, I, I was a 15-year-old who had come out of a terrible situation, um, which would literally, I won't talk about for the possibility of secondary trauma. Like, right, I, right. Very, yeah. very very difficult abuse situation for some time before that and they said the right things at the time for 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 somebody for somebody who was vulnerable and broken and they made me feel like I belonged and they made me feel like I mattered and they made me feel safe um but it was only as long as I conformed to a unwritten rules that I wasn't aware of like you said the photocopy yeah Yeah. As long as you conform to what they said was ideal. And you know, what's scary about, I mean, even as something as benign as like, um, you know, go, you know, you want your kids to like cross off certain markers in their life, you know, go to college. And I was talking to a friend recently and she was really distressed because her kid decided to want to go to college and wanted to become an electrician. And I was like, do you know how much electricians make? And she was like, huh? And, you know, having come from a blue collar world, I was like, yeah, your kid's going to kill it in life. They're going to do great electricians, you know, and, you know, plumbers and welders and things like that. You know, you can take a very short course versus four years of school and do very, very well. But it was because her framework was this is the boxes my kids need to go through to be able to have success in life, because what parent doesn't want your child to be successful? They just weren't aware of a different framework that an electrician could do very well financially, you know? And, and she was like, Oh, and it was like this whole shift for her to realize that that was still okay. And Mm -hmm. judgment comes from a place of insecurity within ourselves and lack. um, When we judge another person for their, like their life. Right. The kind of judgments that good is if we're in a dark alley and somebody's body language is coming at us menacingly, or I don't feel safe hugging this person. Those are judgments we do need to have and that they should be honored 
but saying, um, you can't judge me for my life because again, God welcomed all. Yeah. I think there's but a difference. judges the heart. Yeah. There's a, there's a difference there between judgment and discernment. And it's one that, um, you know, it, it's, a, it's a nuanced thing, but also it's so valuable. And I definitely lacked discernment as a younger person. It had all uh, been squelched out of you. In, yeah. Pick, pick a reason. Because it could have been any one of those circumstances that took away your your sense of worth. Yeah. Yeah. And I think discernment is something that we definitely have when we're whole in ourselves and in relationship with spirit, however we understand that to be then discernment is possible. But when you're lost to yourself and you're disconnected, discernment is very, very difficult. And so discernment was not available to me at the time when I entered into the church. You know what though? I don't regret it for a minute because I would I would have never been on the path that I've been on. And it's, it's been an incredible path. I'm, I'm really blessed to have a story of, you know, a really profound transformation and to have impacted many, many people from different countries around the world over the past 20 years and I wouldn't change any of it you said you've been helping people for 27 years so let's just call it because you said 27 so yeah let's well, it, right yeah it is 27 it's partly that's because I forget how old I am and partly because I'm not including the five years like the church years and stuff in this moment but yeah like absolutely yeah. it is 27 years but since since leaving the church and since the stripper years and things that has accelerated significantly and I've done things like I've worked with refugees and asylum seekers. I've worked on the uh, thousands of cases for victims of uh, some mm-hmm. of Britain's violent crimes. Uh, I founded a movement and we had a community in 39 countries and we made a beautiful impact with that. Like, um, Love it. And, and I wouldn't have been able to do any of those things if I hadn't found my way into the church and from there, all the other things that right. happened since. That was the path that your soul had to go through the recovery path. Let's call it that um, to finding you. Yeah. And in that it's, um, you know, you know, the, you know, this common saying in my church of, you know, that God uses what he has, you know, meaning we as human beings are, are flawed and we have mistakes. And so we're put in different positions of serving, you know, we're assigned different jobs to do, and we may not be qualified to do that job. You know, like I got to serve the nursery, you know, for the little kid, you know, the little 18 months to three years. And I was super qualified, you know, like I love kids and that's great. But for someone else, that would be a really difficult position to be put in, um, you know, because maybe they just don't have a natural intuitive children, but they're going to learn something through it. Right. And so all of these terrible, bad things that happen in the world, to me, what your story is saying to me is this re-emphasis that why does God allow bad things to happen? Because God didn't create the circumstances that we live here in, but he's going to use those circumstances to help us become more. And he's going to use what he's got in front of him to do. And he can make all things work for our good, right? Yeah. That's, so, that's and I, I think also we have to we have to be complicit in that. We have to be willing to surrender to that. We have like we have to be willing co-creators of the good that can come of bad things. But if we hold on to well, it's bad and it's bad because and it can only be bad it's very very challenging to move through that transformation into something beautiful well you know um i from where you came from it was a step up yeah so that's progress 
Yeah. You know, and I do give you a lot of credit of the resiliency of your soul that you took those unideal circumstances and you pulled the gems out, the, the gems of learning. And you made something of something that's really hard. You could have been like, oh, look, society um, where you got acceptance within that community of the, the you know, the, the club. Um, but you could have you could have looked around and said, well, other people are judging me for being a stripper. I guess I am worthless. You found the the gems and what you could of connection and vulnerability to make yourself something more than just yeah. your circumstances. And that that is an empowering story. That is cool. Yeah, thank you. It, it definitely it was very empowering for me. And it pointed me in the direction to the next step in my life, because with money that I had created in that role, um, I went traveling to Turkey and there I went to Ephesus to the, it was the merchant capital of the Roman Empire and a, above the above Ephesus on the hill is where, um, where Mary is buried or believed to be buried and then down in the city Cleopatra walked those streets and standing there was the next awakening when I when I arrived there and I stood barefoot in those streets and I felt the the incredible presence of the women that history does not record adequately that was the the next beautiful step on my path for me well, what's cool is you kept moving forward despite where you came from. And in my book, Love Me Too, I talk about how each individual, it's a, a book on overcoming sexual abuse. And I too do not go into the specifics of what happened to me because um, if we are comparing or contrasting circumstances, that's not what's important. What was more severe or whatever. It doesn't matter. We all have to do the work. Yeah. We have to recapture our innocence, recapture our discernment. You know, a lot of words that you put out here today in this conversation, we have to recapture that and to reignite what our soul was meant to be and to work on growing and becoming more. And we're not going to get there if we don't do the work. We have to love ourselves enough to do that. Yeah. It's, so, it's so incredibly true. My book actually is called Unbecoming and in great part, it's about that. It's the deconstructing all mm-hmm. of the, all that we have been told that we're supposed to be. Um, but I understand why that work is so hard for so many. And I, I, you know, I see that every day with, with people from everywhere, from all walks of life and all different stages of their journey. Sometimes I'm working with people that are in their twenties, sometimes they're in their sixties and, you know, every different kind of type of path. Um, we have so much fear about letting go of the conditioning and letting go, letting go of the constructs that sort of hold up what we think reality is. Just like you said with your friend who thought that her child had to go to college um, because the things that we're conditioned into are, they're, they're so pervasive and we've mm-hmm. been conditioned to them for so long. And so I do want to say like, I feel very blessed to have made it out of that condition and to have had the privilege to research all of this and stuff. I completely understand why it can be really hard or feel impossible for people to let it go because it feels like the only safety that they have and the only belonging that they have. Right. Well, we, there's lots of forms of belonging, but if that belonging is not based in truth then it's not safe. Yeah, it's so true. I love the quote by Brenny Brown that says that fitting in is the opposite of belonging. And I think that's true. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, it's it's so funny because whenever, um, you know, uh, 
um, whenever people have like, they leave a certain group, like, you know, leave a religion or something. And it's always funny to me if they, if they can just, if they just choose to leave, that's one thing. But if they come back to people within that and are like, you're not authentic, you're not a happy person. And they're projecting all of what they felt onto you. And it's like, you, you can go, but if you're coming back and harassing people within it, that lets me know that you're missing that group. You're missing what was here because you can't just be and go and do what you need to do for you. You know, um, you know, it's like if, you know, the divorce couple where that she says, you know, I never loved him or, you know, that kind of thing. And it's like, well, so you're capable of lying for 18 years, <laughs> you know, it's like, you know, how, the, what kind of language we use when we're trying to find what is true shows a lot about what we really know inside our hearts. Yeah. You know, yeah. so, okay. Any closing thoughts? This was a fascinating conversation. And for the listener who was kind of like, she was a stripper. What? Um, I just want to be really clear that, um, you know, I'm not advocating for daughters to go do this, but let's what I am advocating for. And what I hope you heard in Morgana's story is that when you meet someone who has maybe a story that's different than yours or circumstances that might kind of go, uh, talk to them long enough, you're going to find like Morgana and I did in this conversation that we had a lot of common threads of experience, but a lot of understanding in each other and our experiences. If we just don't look at, she could have been just as turned off by things. If I told her in my life, um, because they're different from her experience that we need to get past what we perceive someone's experience to define about them and to look into their hearts. Beautiful. Would you like to add anything before we end? I think perhaps only to recognize for those that might be judging themselves, because we've talked a bit about judging each other and your summation you was really it to that. Yeah. a reflection of that. But but there are many of us, I'm sure that you've also experienced this too, especially like, you know, survivors of any kind of abuse, but, but for all of us, that there are places where we're judging ourselves and saying, I'm not worthy, I'm not enough, nobody mm -hmm. will accept this about me, this doesn't belong, this doesn't fit, something like that. And I just would love to encourage you to believe that all of your story matters. And if you can have the courage to share everywhere that you've been, if you can have the courage to share your whole path, then you actually will find more in common and more compassion for, you know, for everybody else. And you will receive that in return because you can't actually be in your truth. And at the same time also say, yeah, but that part's ugly and I'm not going to share that. And so it's one of the reasons why I talk about some of the ugly parts of my life, the parts that people might judge. And when we first started our conversation, you said like, I'm cool with it, but I'm religious just so you know, I could have said, oh, no, 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 no. I'm not doing it. <laughs> um, right. But well, I, I wanted you to know the spectrum I was coming from so yeah. that if that felt unsafe to you, that I didn't want this conversation to be difficult for you, oh, um, of course. you know, I, and so it's yeah. like, okay, you know, that's yeah. cool. Just so you know. Yeah. I, you know? I really I really appreciate that. Um, I, I just was mentioning it because I wouldn't have been able to have an authentic conversation with you if I then was like, well, I have to keep that part secret, but now she kind of knows, but then I'm not going to talk about it and all the rest of it. Like mm -hmm. when you love and embrace yourself and your own story and you share from your heart and you're willing to be courageous, what opens up in, in your life ahead of you just gets 
bigger and deeper and more magical the further it goes. I totally agree with that because I've always said that, you know, in the secret, in the shadows is where secrecy thrive, you know, secrecy and shadows is where dysfunction and lies thrive. Right. And it's just like, you know, mold in a dark corner and it just grows and covers everything in that corner. And when you shed light into that, that is when you can begin that work of, you know, deconstructing, as you put it, analyzing what's the truth, what's the gym, what's the good and Mm -hmm. taking out what's causing the mold. Yeah. But when we live in shame, which I call that from he who is poopy, AKA Satan, because we all have poop. It's just what we do with our poop that defines us. Right. So, you know, how we're analyzing and looking at things. And if we don't have conversations like we had today, um, you know, it, it's uh, I've I've had some friends in the past that strip, so I wasn't like, oh my crap, I've never talked to a stripper. But I'm guessing a lot of people, um, w- if they were to see you or the other friends that I've had that were strippers, um, you wouldn't know that. And so, mm-hmm. you know, it's not like you know they they go in their tassel outfit in public, <laughs> you know, because um, there's not safety there of the bouncer, right? But yeah. you know, you don't you don't know someone's story if you don't talk to them and you can't learn the wisdom that their story can teach you if you don't talk to them. Yeah. Yeah, it's so true. Somebody reminded me the other day about the connection between Christ and prostitutes and you know, there there's there is a beauty in being okay with people being different to you. There's a there's a magic in that. And when you can I don't think it's not just beautiful, it is required for growth. Yeah. Yeah. And as a consequence, we also have to be okay with it in ourselves. Yeah. And the differences that we perceive or uh, you know, um, you know, the Bible says, you know, we make weak things strong. You know, a lot of the things that people disliked about me as a child and told me I had to change are literally how I make a living now. And it sounds like the same for you that, you know, if you were like, oh, my life had always been perfect, you know, you wouldn't be a very inspiring or helpful um, guide. <laughs> it's, very, it's very true. As it is, people can come to me with basically anything because I've worked, as I said, with so many different kinds of people. And I'll be like, yep, you're not the first person. <laughs> it's okay. Yeah. yeah. Seen that, been there, you know, had those conversations. Yeah, I love it. Well, thank you, Dr. Magorna. Magorna. Why why did I mess up on that? Morgana Allen McKay. Maybe because I was wanting so much to say your whole name and say it lyrically, even though I couldn't do it in an accent, you know? So thank you for being on this episode and sharing your hugs. Well, it's been such a joy to be here. It's been a great pleasure to meet you. really appreciate everyone that took the time to listen and more information about Morgana will be in the show notes and thank you as always for listening